Sci-Fi, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast cross-sections. Their mission, to explore new topics and create new content. And boldly go where no boys have gone before. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Mark. Jason. Matt. I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew's back. And today we are talking about the final installment in Andrew's March Madness, woo, aka woo, woo. March Sadness, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Before we get into this movie, though... I want to throw this over to Ben Young with the news. So, um, I, uh, I really only have one piece of news for us today, but, uh, before I get into that, I do want to say that we did receive a fan question that I think like is now the, now is the perfect time to cover it really quickly. Don't think about your answer because we don't have a lot of time to get to it. So I'm going to ask this fan question from, um, Twitter user, the Mallard report, which is another podcast that reached out to us and, uh, they want to know, uh, what, um, First of all, we're, I'm going to do this, and then we'll get into the news. What podcasts besides our podcast are you guys listening to right now? I'll go first. I love listening to The Dollop with uh, with Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds. Uh, it's one of my favorites, and I listen to it all the time. What about the rest of you guys? Uh, I would like to say that uh, I always love hardcore history, um, but obviously that comes out in very, uh, well, lengthy installments um i also like my bim bam um and the dollop as well great anyone else um the uh the actors who played turk and jd on scrubs have a podcast um zach braff and donald Faison. um i can't remember what it's called off the top of my head oops uh yeah but if you um if you google search um that if you google search scrubs podcast you'll probably find it pretty quick I want to listen to that so bad. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been on uh, my brother, my brother and me, uh, Adventure Zone, not another D and D podcast. Uh, Hardcore history, Colin got me into, and uh, Lore Miller got me into. So, uh, yes, I love. I used to love Lore. Yeah, there's there are a lot that I've wanted to get into, um, but I have a lot of audiobooks that I'm going through all the time. So, yeah. good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, it's called I Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach Braff and or with Zach and Donald. Sorry, Matt. Nice. No, that's awesome. I love that name. Yeah, there you go. But uh, the one that I haven't heard mentioned yet that I'm obsessed with is LeVar Burton Reads. <laughs> Essentially adult reading yeah. rainbow, and I love it. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Um, oh, go I'd ahead, say, oh, no problem. I don't really listen to podcasts that often, but Bibam is like one of my... Uh, guilty pleasures but i don't really drive as much for work anymore so i don't get a chance but one of my uh like it's uh it's for work but it's um uh, marketing secrets by russell brunson which that is more of like a motivational very very niche thing so i would say that mabim bam is my number one that i uh listen to most often i think what i'm hearing is mcelroy's get at us <laughs> yeah, we challenge the mcelroy's to a fight once covid19 is over 
Uh, not so much a fight, more like an affiliate opportunity. <laughs> um, does it involve punching and kicking? More like uh, more like uh, kickbacks. You know what I'm saying? Cha-ching. Yeah, slush funds, money, ba- big burlap sacks with dollar signs on them. All right. Well, thank you guys for answering that, and thank you at Mallard Report on Twitter for asking it. Um, it's not it doesn't really have to, anything to do with Mad Max, but you know, it's nice to get interaction, and we want to reward interaction. So, with that being said, I do have one piece of news, really quick. Uh, big news for Snowpiercer fans. Uh, TNT has announced that they'll be moving the series up just a bit. About two weeks. So instead of May 31st, the TV show based on Bong Joon-ho's Oscar-winning film, which is based on an award-winning graphic novel, will premiere its first episode on Sunday, May 17th at 9 p.m. So be on the lookout for Sci-Fi Cross-Section's coverage of the series when it wraps later this year. And that is it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I've been really excited for this series for a long time. I I watched the movie in like a um, in a Novocaine or anesthesia drug filled uh, haze back when I had my wisdom teeth removed. So I got to watch the movie again. I don't know. But that I've, sounds like the best way to watch that movie. It was something. <laughs> it was something. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited for the series. So. With that being said, that is it for the news. For all of the latest and greatest news, follow us on Facebook.com slash Sci-Fi Cross-Sections and on Twitter at SF Cross-Sections. Thanks so much. Back to you, Overlord. Well, Ben, uh, I I just have to say I'm glad I don't have any real interesting podcasts I'm listening to right now. (laughs) You didn't speak up, bitch. Oh, okay. Wow. Thanks. Appreciate it. Glad to know my opinion's uh, valuable. Do you have any podcasts you're currently listening to? No, I don't listen to podcasts. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I already knew the answer, too, because I know you you only listen to music like some fucking poser or something. Yep, you got it. (laughs) Music, the original podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A a gramophone. (laughs) Can we rename our podcast to Podcast Posers? Hell yeah. I mean, it's a pretty damn good one, honestly. Yeah, Mark, you and I will do that one. Yeah. Bonus content. All right. Uh, Thank you, Ben. And uh, thank you, Jason. Uh, So today we're going to talk about Mad Max Fury Road, the 2015 post-apocalyptic action film co-written and produced and directed by George Miller. Um, I didn't pick him just because he's got a similar name to me. Oh, bullshit. For those who, you know, aren't familiar with George Miller's work, what's wrong with you? But uh, he did Mad Max 2, 3, uh, my personal favorite childhood film, or one of them, Babe. Uh, also did the sequel. Didn't see that one. Pig in the City. Uh, also did the wildly successful Happy Feet. Uh, Happy Feet. Thank you. And the sequel Fantastic to that well. film. Babe really Fury is. Road. <laughs> yeah. What a weird catalog. Babe, Babe Fury Road would be amazing. <laughs> Just this very strange catalog of movies. Like, all right, here are these three post-apocalyptic, hardcore action movies with starring, you know, Australians. Uh, here's some fucking kids' movies. Hey, you know what? Respect to a, a director that yeah. uh, he's not typecast. That only does like one fucking thing his entire career. Uh, but I respect a director more that could fucking do whatever he wants. To be honest, true that. Didn't yeah, the DP cooler. do like uh, the Quinn Medicine Woman? Like Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman as well? Like He didn't do that. Are you sure? Did he? I was reading Fuck a off. few things about like the cinematography and I could have sworn I read that. 
It was that Herman Miller. I'm going to look into that. I was going to say, um, I never actually watched Happy Feet, but I just saw on here, um, let's see, uh, he directed, produced, and co-wrote Happy Feet. You know, I thought it was just something that he was kind of like involved with as a director, <laughs> like they kind of like attached him to the film for some reason, but like, no, this guy was involved with Happy Feet. That dude's and all about now, penguins. Now I have to see it. You haven't seen it? No, I've never seen so, it. So, Bill, the what do you really think he has kids or something. The really impressive thing about Happy Feet is that all of the explosions are all practical effects. Yeah. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! No, so no, I was keep 16 that in when it came out, so I didn't really didn't yeah. really have an interest in it. Practically penguins in every way. It's a really good movie. Okay, I'll have to see it, and then we'll have to cover it. <laughs> no, we can't cover it, but it's really good. What's more sci-fi than talking ass penguins? Talking ass penguins. <laughs> now, real quick, we're going to kind of probably talk more about this later, but I just want to say that the budget, uh, what I see listed here is 150 to 185 million. They obviously went through some extensive reshoots uh, quite late in the post-production. Um, I think after all was said and done, including like marketing and all that, it came out to around 200 million. And the box office was 374.7 million. Uh, there's a reason it was so low there. Um, and that's largely because they didn't get a release in China like they expected. That fucked them. Hmm. Why'd that happen? But uh, I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you. This one, this one is very interesting. Did you read on the history that this has been in production? I didn't know this was in production hell for about, what was it, uh, 18 years, almost yeah, 20 years. Uh, 95 is when uh, it, it started to like, the idea came and it was 98 when it like all coalesced into actually starting to yep. make it happen. Yeah. I that love it when we wild. get production hell movies. <laughs> right. And <laughs> it actually, actually like read, and it, read back and yeah. And it's so funny how, how like direct, how direct this uh, affected production because um, originally it was going to be Mel Gibson, like an older Mel Gibson. Well, I mean, and then everything happened to Mel Gibson and they decided, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Yeah, and yeah, honestly, he did what women want, and then they were like, "We're never gonna hire this guy." <laughs> no, not doing that. No, but props to George Miller for being like, "Not gonna happen." He's not gonna be in my movies. Uh, right, exactly. I I do know that they wanted to before he passed away. Heath Ledger was initially, I think, pegged to hmm. play the new Mad Max, but obviously that didn't. He seems a little out. too stringy for me. There's a joke there. I don't get it though. I just can't picture him in the role. It's funny because that's what people have always said about every Heath Ledger role ever <laughs> announced. They're like, I can't picture him in the role. And then he comes and kills it. I didn't agree when people said that they couldn't see him as Joker. I was like, I don't know. I could see it for sure. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the cast, but uh, we'll go with the main ones here. You got Tom Hardy playing Mad Max. You got Charlize Theron playing Furiosa. Nicholas Holt plays the, uh, what's the guy's name? Knox. Nix. Thank you. Knox, yeah. It's Knox. Yeah, and then, it's uh, Knox. Obviously, Hugh Keys Byrne plays uh, Morton Joe. So, I didn't know who Hugh Keys Byrne was before I watched this, <laughs> and then I realized he was in the 1979 version. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. he yep. played the main villain then. Yeah, yeah. Toe Cutter. Yeah, two toe different cutters. characters completely. Yeah, uh, two completely different characters, though. Also, I do see here that uh, Lenny Kravitz's daughter, Zoe Kravitz, yeah. is one of the. Is that women. her daughter? I, I yep. saw it was. I, I saw Zoe Kravitz, but I was like, mm -hmm. is that his wife or his kid? Uh, yeah, it's, it's his kid. It's his, is, is he coming my way? <laughs> no. Um, yeah. 
Wanna eat a Milky <laughs> Way? All right, well, before we continue, let me throw it over to Ben. Uh, did you type one up today, Ben, or are you reading off something? Boy, I type one up every day. Uh, okay, all right. Hey, respect. <clears throat> you didn't do, You didn't do one for uh, The Mandalorian, did you? I don't know. That was, oh, a, that was a long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Oh, you beat me to it. I was taking a sip. In a post-apocalyptic Australia, a man known only as Max aids Imperator Furiosa as she flees the Citadel with the many wives of the ruler in Morton Joe. Along the way, Max is forced to choose a side, and Furiosa is forced to accept her destiny, while Joe and his warband hunt them along the Fury Road. It just fits everywhere. That was awesome. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, starting out, I want to ask Andrew. Yeah. Hi. Why did you choose this movie? Um. I thought it was a fucking badass action movie, and probably one of my favorite like sci-fi movies of recent history. I saw it in theaters, and it just blew me away i had never seen a mad max film and uh even to date i've only ever seen the first one um yeah but it 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 blew me away i was like oh my god this is an awesome movie um i didn't know if we would ever get an opportunity to opportunity to talk about it um the two uh mad max movies that are in development hell well they may or may not come to fruition so uh Figured now is as good a time as any. Um, I had a couple a couple of other outlier choices that I could have picked for uh, Miller March Madness, but um, I think this one kind of just won out for me. What were some of the other choices, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, um, I wish I remembered. <laughs> you put me on the spot like that. <laughs> no, I kind of... Um, was well, Blade Runner one of them? Um, I don't... Th- I don't think Blade Runner was one of them. Uh, I still would like to watch 2049. Yeah, I think I, I would think everybody here kill would the world. Um, I think I had another. I you know, the ca- cast. is 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 there is there something we could Ben look into? It? Is yeah. something we can knock off to get? Uh, it'll be mm-hmm. sometime in July. Um, uh, you know what? Know uh, Cowboy one. Bebop and Trigun were actually both um, on the docket right. originally, uh, but those are both fairly. Out. Yeah, they're fairly longer. series and it's like well we're doing picard we're doing um so many series you know in april that it's like i'm not going to make anybody watch you know 26 30 episodes of two different animes so that's why that's kind of why i threw those anime movies in um and this was something i thought was easily digestible i think a lot of us had already seen it um and so Fairly, fairly easy pick, I think, for for all uh, all things considered. I mean, I can tell you right now that most of the people sitting around this virtual table right now mm-hmm. not only loved this movie, but they were actively following the production of it leading up to it. Yeah, I I, I was not like I said as uh you know I'd never seen a Mad Max film um, up until this one. Um, I I I still want to. I still want to see the other ones. Um but I was not following this and this came out of nowhere for me. So, well, 
That's always a good feeling. Yeah, I, I've also never seen another hey. Mad Max movie. Uh, yeah. and, and honestly, I don't really care to, to tell you the truth, because I... Uh, I, I, I feel like this movie would the the originals would never hold up to what I love about this movie. So I feel like I I don't I don't really care to watch them. Like I understand their classics and I understand their at least cult classics, but I, I don't think I would ever be interested in watching them to tell you the truth. I if someone were to turn them on, I'd be like fine, but I would never go out of my way. Yeah, that's basically distills and perfects everything that's great about the originals, so Jason. I was just going to say, uh, when it comes to at least the second Mad Max, you know, the first Mad Max is kind of more of a story-driven affair, but the second Mad Max, um, which was the Road Warriors, at least released in North America as a Road Warrior, that film really was in its day the Fury Road yeah. of kind of that era, just as far as what they were doing with practical effects and kind of how they were pushing um, you know, an action movie or what an action movie could be. So I think it's worth a watch even just as a piece of kind of film history. Um, I think Fury Road kind of perfected what they were trying to do and just didn't have the resources to do. You know, the technology just wasn't there at the time, but um, definitely worth a watch. And in my opinion, we can kind of talk about it too, or I'm sure everyone will have kind of a thought on it, but the series kind of is very uneven. I feel like the first film was good. The second film was great. The third film was kind of, eh, and then obviously Fury Road is incredible. So, you the know, return to form really. Yeah. It'd be a little different if it was more consistent over the years, but I feel like it over the course of, you know, 40 odd years, it was a very up and down sort of ebb and flow. Yeah. Thunderdome was a lot of fun, but there's not a lot of meat there. Was that, was that Tina Turner? Oh yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, it was Master Blaster. Um. <laughs> Who run Barter Town? <laughs> I love no? okay. Thunderdome because I remember watching it as a kid. But holy crap, rewatching it, <laughs> so eighties. Oh, it's so rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they Welcome they the suck some of the grittiness out and turn it up on the campiness side. Oh, for sure. I feel like that was the time, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't want to blame that. I feel like there's been a consistent... I feel like the consistent themes throughout the uh, all the films, if we're going to talk about the entire franchise, uh, is Max, obviously, and then um, a really strong uh, antagonist. That's been, like, in every single film, is that, like, this just super strong antagonist. Like, um, just going back to uh, reading up about the first film again, uh, toe cutter was very very prominent and then you have uh which i i didn't know the name of this guy but the humongous humongous in the second yeah. one yeah and, and then obviously tina turner or uh it would actually be um auntie entity uh, Mas- and then the um did you say booty entity auntie entity auntie entity ah um but um so and then also a master blaster can't forget that um and uh, and then in this one, obviously, in Morton Joe. And so it's like there's been these just super, super prominent, strong antagonists in every single film that just kind of like exemplify the sort of redemption that happens throughout the film. So anyway, but we'll get into that later. I mean, you, you so you mentioned that Max is a common theme throughout the films, but is Max a common theme throughout all of the films? Because I remember, I re- I've read a long time ago uh, this theory, and I had not um, come back to it at all for this because I wasn't 
motivated enough to do so. But I thought it, I think it's worth discussion, at least for those of you who may have heard of it, which is um, that Tom Hardy's character is not, in fact, Max from Mel Gibson's, Mel Gibson's series. But uh, I, I remember the the argument was that he was a child from two, I believe. Does anyone, has anyone heard? Of yeah, this? I've this heard is of a theory. theory that I have heard. Um, I don't know. Matt, Tom Hardy is credited as Max Rokitansky. So, yeah, George Miller just straight up said they just recasted. Yeah, they just rebooted. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, did he come out and say it at some point? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to derail any. Uh, I'm changed. sorry, Bill. I don't want to derail any um, any sort of talking points. But yeah, it seems to me like it's just kind of just a recast. They were Fair enough. They were originally going to just do it as a continuation, but then obviously the Mel Gibson thing, and then it got in production hell because of the Iraq War, and then American currency went to crap. So then it got pushed another six years. So they wound up just being like, you know what? Let's just cut all ties and just make a reboot. Fair enough. Oh, man, you know what I love about it is they run into the same, even in the 21st century, they run into the same issues that like Star Wars ran into in the 70s, where fucking nature happens and just fucking destroys all their plans. Like in, uh, was it Tunisia, where they filmed the original Star Wars, they had a bad sandstorm and just destroyed all of the uh, uh, the Tatooine sets. The same yeah. thing happened in, in a way for this, they had a really bad rain come uh i think it was on the was it the australia or was it um one of the other sets but they wanted this arid desert but because of the rain they got a bunch of wildflowers growing everywhere and they just couldn't film in this country they had to go somewhere else hmm. so, that's I really just, interesting i love that mm -hmm. nature can still but you got to respect a film that wants to still shoot on location and not just green screen it you know yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that's something that really impressed me was uh, the sheer level of practicality in every sort of aspect of this to the cars, um, to the to the on location shoots. Really, really impressive. Those poor uh, bastards actually spraying their faces with uh, chrome spray paint. I don't even want to think oh, about God. what. I don't want to think about that oh, at I all. Know that. <laughs> no, that, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I was going to say, you motherfucker. Really? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's dedication. That's that's math. I want right authenticity. <laughs> well, so I've I've uh, dove pretty deep into the um, cosplay community for this series because I kind of started dabbling in making a Max costume at one point, and people get really intense about uh, their costuming here. Uh, but people had found the the solution to this was this like. It was like an edible spray paint that you use when you're making like high-end mm. decorative cakes, um, mm. and it's oh, actually wow. edible. It doesn't. It they said it doesn't taste very good, but it is, um, you know, okay Not for you toxic. to spray in your mouth. So they like people. People use that a lot for uh, for like their cosplays. It sure. Tastes, yeah, oh. I'd believe it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, and you're still doing whippets. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the post-apocalyptic world, they're still doing them. From the Whippet Farm. Oh, d did anybody here watch the black and white version? Or what, what was the actual? The black and chrome is what black, they branded it as. Black and yeah. chrome, yeah. Did, did anyone uh, watch that version? I yeah. thought about it, and then I didn't. So that was... Nah, I still haven't seen it. That was going to be something that I uh, kind of brought up in my, um, you know, final recap kind of thing. Oh, okay. Uh, 
I, I just bring it up now. I've seen the movie probably half a dozen times before this, and I've had the black and chrome edition for a while, but I never, I never got myself to sit down and watch it. And I'm glad that I finally did because it was beautiful. Oh, yeah, it was gorgeous. Um, wow. Because they didn't actually make it, they didn't film the movie for it. There are a couple scenes that are a little off because of it, but overall, oh, it looks incredible. Nice. Well, I was told um, my going into my first viewing of this movie because I didn't see it in theaters. I watched it on Blu-ray a couple years later. And Mark, I think it, it might have been you, but I was told that the way this movie was filmed, you have to watch it in, you know, its original format with color. Um, just because there are so many scenes that are breathtaking. Uh, so I, a little bit know. of trivia for you there, Colin. Interestingly enough, because that was one of the things I kind of looked into with a lot of the production stuff or production side stuff. So the movie was actually originally conceived as a black and white film. Yep. Ooh. And but it was focus tested where they basically got very negative feedback if they were going to go that route. Um, and because they didn't want to lose on it or lose potential audience on it, they went with color. But that was originally kind of how it was set up. And George Miller, as crazy as he is, uh, as much of a visionary as he is, actually wanted to do it as a silent film. Whoa. Whoa. That Wild. I don't think I would have liked. <laughs> it would have been cool, I mean, but I don't know if I would have liked that as much. So I mean, yeah. It, it, it nearly is. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the 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 clanky piano in the background and the uh, <laughs> and the you know title cards coming up. Oh that was no, kind of weird. But, but listen, is, no. listen to the engines of okay. those cars. Oh, sick. Sorry, go ahead, Ben. No, no, I, I no, I don't have anything to say. I, I, silent films are not silent films are not limited by clanky pianos. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. Is a joke, man. No, no, that's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> it could have been a silent film with EDM. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, no, honestly, like, I oh, I don't have God. anything against silent film at all, but I this would I don't think worked. I mean, you need Joe's resonant voice. Mm -hmm. You know, you 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 need that dialogue. Um, it could have worked as uh as a black and white, sure, but like when they're riding around and that guy's playing that flamethrower guitar, man, you need to see the bright crimson in those flames when those shoot out. Like you need, that's something that you need. Yeah. Isn't it actually the composer for the movie? Um, I don't I know heard that at one point. No, it, it wasn't. It was another musician that he knew, mm -hmm. I guess uh, he was in some band. Um, like I don't know if it was someone that George Miller knew or someone that the composer of the film knew, but he is an actual musician, and I think mm -hmm. he said, uh, "What what did I read? It's like that guitar was like 170 pounds." And yeah, it had to be bungeed. They made it to where the bridge. It's got like a whammy bar. The bridge actually mm -hmm. controlled the flames shooting out of it, so he yeah. had full control over that, which was awesome. Yeah, but yeah, I also read that he spent his days getting drunk and playing guitar, which was you know, kind of I think what everybody in this group once. I mean, I wish I'm doing one of those things every day. I didn't know you played guitar. <laughs> <laughs> he has a very bad guitar problem. Oh. <laughs> which, is anonymous. which is offsetting with a, a glass of water. My name is Ben. I've played guitar session. in 12 minutes. 
Um, I got a bad guitar bro- problem, fellas, if uh, you want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, if anyone does. All right. Well, I kind of want to get into the casting choices here for at least two of these roles. Um, we can speak to Tom Hardy playing as Max. And then I also want to talk about, and we can talk about the characters too. I also want to talk about um, Charlize Theron playing Furiosa. So, which that might segue into some other things I want to talk about. I like the I like the subversion of casting somebody who's you know, um, sort of conventionally attractive like Charlize Theron and shaving her head and throwing her in a prosthetic arm and you know saying go you know he's she's not one of Immortan Joe's wives she's this imperator she's you know a minion of of this warlord um i i think that's really neat you know i mean kind of going back to uh you know your your joker analogy you know he's uh a conventional attractive male you know and then they put him in makeup and he's totally demented looking i really like subversive choices like that it's actually really interesting i think Charlize theron was actually very very much involved with the uh, character development because Mm -hmm. She was cast so early and then it went into hell that she had time to develop a very in-depth character in that story. Was Charlize Theron not a producer on this? Was, was she? I could let you know right now. She is not. Nope. That's interesting because Charlize Theron has, has taken a more active role of production in the industry at this point over acting. She's often spoken about how she likes producing more than she likes acting. So I'm a little surprised to find out she wasn't a producer during this film. Well, interestingly enough, so, I mean, we kind of highlighted the two leads in the film. And uh, I've got some opinions on that, too, which I'll bring up here. But what I thought was kind of interesting and I didn't know before a few days ago was that the production of this film was actually pretty rocky as far as the actor's relationship with George Miller. So George Miller and the actors did not get along. Um, did not get along with Charlize Theron, did not get along with uh, with Tom Hardy. Uh, Tom Hardy just, I think he was quoted as saying like, you know, he didn't get George Miller's vision when they were on set. You know, they spent three months in the desert filming this and they just, you know, they weren't clicking. And I think it was, I don't know if it was cons or where it was, but after Tom Hardy saw the film for the first time, the completed cut, he basically broke down and just apologized to George Miller and said, look, you know, you, <laughs> you, you have the vision. I was wrong. I'm really sorry. Uh, and Charlize Theron kind of had a similar response, which I thought was interesting. Um, but that being said, they both immediately signed on to whatever George Miller wants to do in the future. Basically said, you know, whatever's next, we're there. Uh, both actors, which I thought was really interesting. I was about to, I was about to say that's interesting because I was like, they're definitely making a Furiosa movie. And I was surprised that you would even say that Shirley Theron didn't get along with him. But that makes sense if she eventually came around to his side. Because it's definitely happening at this point. So, yeah, I want to real quick talk about that is um, he has three more movies planned or maybe it's two movies. Planned. I've heard two. One is. Yeah, he wants to do a Mad Max story. A Max and, prequel to Fury Road. And he wants to do a, a Furiosa, Furiosa prequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Furiosa is happening. It's being worked on right now. But I thought I, I thought he said that. Um, Max will be in both of those movies. Max will be in both, but Furiosa will not be in the Max standalone prequel. Um, 
However, they are currently locked up in legal disputes. Uh, George Miller is going after, um, uh, what is it, NBC? No. Warner Brothers. Yeah, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Sorry, I don't know why I said NBC. He's going after Warner Brothers um, because he was supposed to get a bonus and he never got it. So Wasn't that resolved? I'm pretty sure that was resolved. As of last year... I was going to say, as of February, they, yeah, I just read this. They were still locked in. I mean, George Miller is saying it's going to happen. Like, don't worry, but he just wants to get everything taken care of legally well, first. It, it's one of those silly things where literally, like, they know that, you know, you've got a visionary on board like George Miller. He's got the scripts already. He, you know, has obviously proven himself time and time again. Fury Road was incredible. It's going to be as simple as them finally cutting him a damn check, and then they'll be, at, be able to go on and make the film. Well, that's you know? what I'm and saying. It could, have, it could have been done or it could have been in production, you know, full production for probably the last three or four years. But it's just, you know, stupid industry stuff. Yeah, just give him the fucking money. Here it is. As of uh, March 26th, um, they are have it set for 2021. George Miller's met with Anya Taylor-Joy to star in the film. I don't know who that is. Anya Taylor, Anya Taylor Joy is from The Vivitch. Um, she is, plays the main character in that. Oh. She is from Split. She plays the main character in that. Um, she's going to be in New Mutants whenever the fuck that's released. Um, well, obviously, he's still going to keep going with like pre-production, but he's not going to go full steam into these movies until he finishes his legal battle, is what I'm saying. So, yeah. Oh, he hopes to start shooting in 2021. You're correct. You're correct. My bad. Um, <clears throat> well, that's exciting that we're still going to get it. So, uh, yeah. We, so we kind of moved away from sequel. the casting, but I wanted to talk about Nicholas Holt. I, man, I have not seen a project that he's been a part of that I didn't like. Well, I should say I didn't like him in. Um, he, I feel like he kind of thrives in that like secondary supporting role. Uh, but I think he's he's just a great he's a great actor. He's got a really good range too. He's he's also Beast in the in the like reboot of the X Men. Uh, he came. Oh, I, I didn't realize the, he was Beast. Yeah, the first thing that I saw him in was this like, uh, kind of like teen drama show on like not BBC but like the Network Four or whatever from uh, England. And I really liked him in that. And then all of a sudden I start seeing him showing up in Hollywood, and he's all over the place. But he always does like supporting roles, but he does a great job in it. So I think he's just writing that out. I think he's great, though. No, I agree. Nicholas Holt is the true star of this film, in my opinion. I think every time he's on screen, every line that Nicholas Holt delivers are the lines that are quotable from this film. And the reason for that, of course, is due to George Miller's impeccable script but also due to simply Nicholas Holt's delivery. Nicholas Holt is is at his absolute best in this film and unfortunately hasn't been as good as this since and was never as good as this before. Do you know who he reminds me of? Who? He's like the poor man's uh, Ed Screen, or Screen, however you want to say it. He was the uh, <laughs> the bad guy in Deadpool. Hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I guess. I would say Ed Skrein is probably more the poor man's <laughs> Nicholas Holt. I would agree with that. Since, yeah. since Ed Skrein's been in a whopping Deadpool and Game some Game of Thrones. And Alita. Whoa! Get out of here! True. Get at me! He was great I mean, that. that still doesn't help him. Did he ever end up doing those Transporter movies? 
That was what he, he did. One that was what he, he did, left. Well, no, he did. A, he did the show. I thought didn't he do the show? I don't know. Who cares about the transporter? <laughs> I just think it was interesting that he left Game of oh, Thrones. Oh shit! He also that. did Northmen, a Viking saga. No, <laughs> All right, we're not oh, talking shit. about him. Well, now we know what Colin's watching tonight when he gets home. The Wire. <laughs> As he should. Yeah. Um, well, I actually, while we're on this topic, guys, I did want to bring something up uh, regarding casting because uh, it just kind of was an interesting contrast uh, when I was kind of talking to folks about this movie. So I was one of the people that followed the production of this from you know beginning to end. Um, one of my first memories... Uh, you know, in the sci-fi sphere when I was younger was watching the Mad Max movies with my dad. You know, he was huge on them and really kind of turned me onto the movies uh, and really kind of that whole post-apocalyptic sci-fi thing in general. So I was really excited uh, to see this. And I thought the choice of Tom Hardy was kind of interesting casting um, just because although he's a great actor, and I mean, I'm a Tom Hardy fan. I've liked him and everything he's in. He's not, he doesn't... I feel like a lot of roles he's in, he's kind of more understated, and he certainly has the capability of being, you know, this charismatic presence, but he's not really as charismatic as a presence as, like, you know, a Mel Gibson, say, for instance. So I thought that the casting choice was kind of interesting, but it made sense seeing how they utilized him in the film, uh, just because the character kind of became something a little different. You know, the character in this film is very much kind of a, a cipher for, you know, what George Miller is trying to say and, and less a character in and of his own right. I feel like he's he's kind of like a, a vector we experience the story through, but he's not necessarily moving the story along. I think that's very much Charlize, Car- uh, Charlize Theron's character in this film anyway. But um, it was kind of interesting because when I talked to my dad, I think after the fact, um, you know, I ended up seeing it in theaters a couple times, but uh, he didn't see it until it came out. And uh, when we talked about it, he was not, particularly a fan of Tom Hardy's portrayal of the Max character. He loved the movie, loved the action, he loved, you know, the effects and everything, but he wasn't really a fan of kind of that take on it. So that was kind of an interesting contrast for me because I I loved it. I love both takes on the character. But I thought it was really kind of commendable that Tom Hardy was able to make the character his own and kind of bring something new to it. And to me, I thought it was a pretty fresh take on it. Yeah, you know, I... I agree with what you're saying with um, him kind of being like the soapbox. He's kind of like the the puppet sort of thing. I don't know how to say it, but, you know, he's the voice for George Miller to come through in the in the film and just be like, this is what this is about. And like have that, you know, surrounded by characters with stories. And, um, you know, I, I thought that was I think that's really cool that you said that because I definitely agree with that. I think that as a character, Max is kind of just a lens for us to view the film through. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We need to talk about the mythos. This like post-apocalyptic, the earlier movies were kind of building upon that where it was getting further and further away from society's collapse. And we were starting to get these characters who were bigger than life. And now we have essentially a god for a little like chunk of territory. And we end up having this Valhalla warriors who are willing to die just to impress him. Like it creates this world that just snowballs as shit's falling apart. 
I agree with that. That's that's it's so this whole film is just world building, just such intense world building, culture building that you're like you're like you buy into it immediately. You're like, what is going on? You know, like the war boys, the you know, the entire war boys culture is just kind of cool. You know, if you can call it that culture is just kind of like just cool to like just observe. The, the world building in this is incredible because you, you get no Max backstory. You get really no backstory on anybody except for a few lines of dialogue uh, from Furiosa halfway through the film. And uh, the rest is all just kind of, it's kind of that movie thing where you, you know, choose to either suspend or not suspend your disbelief. And it's like, well, I just, I mean... You know, the war boys, they're they're going to collect steering wheels so they can get into their war bands and chase Furiosa. And they're praying, you know, to the glorious V8. And they're doing their little hand sign. And it's like, all right, yeah, I, I believe it. Sure. These guys, everything just seemed immediately just like believable. And I was just like, was watching it last night. And it's my, you know, like fourth or fifth viewing. And I'm just thinking like, well, yeah, it's just, I mean, I just believe any of this. Like, you know, I, I, I believe that any of this is just kind of what it is. And I was starting to dig deep into the lore. And I guess there are comic books that have come out that sort of explain who uh, these people are. And um, it's it's just really interesting um, that there is just so much lore that you just are like, I don't know. The, the lore, it doesn't take a backseat to the wild, crazy action that's happening. But it makes you want to, it makes you wish there was more, but you're not upset that you aren't getting it. This could have easily been a three hour movie where they explained wh what happened to Max. You know, they could have flushed out Furiosa's backstory. They could have told you everything about Joe, the war boys, um, the bullet farmer, the people eater. They could have told you all of that and but it have bogged down it. the, yeah, it would, have, but it would have bogged down the story, I think. So I was more than happy to just sort of let it come and just accept it for what it is. And then if there are things that exist outside, I'm more than happy in this case to go pursue that. Yeah. I mean, that goes back to just kind of what we were just talking about with, you know, Tom Hardy, mm -hmm. not really getting it, even when he was, you know, portraying the lead in the movie, you know, filming it didn't really get what George Miller, you know, was kind of thinking in terms of how he wanted to portray the story and portray the characters. But I think that's, you know, a testament to George Miller's vision when it comes to making these types of movies. You know, he's very much a director that he knows what he wants. He knows kind of, you know, he, he has the movie playing in his head, uh, scene for scene, long before, you know, uh, any film is actually taken. You know, I mean, like, he, he knows exactly what he's going for. And he had the confidence in that vision to where he didn't need to bog the story down with exposition and with the backstory and with that. Like, he created this world. This is how things exist. This is how things are. Deal with it. You know, come along for the ride. To, and, and that's kind of, you know, generally what we do over the course of the movie. So, like, great, you know. I mean, more power to him. He has that confidence to tell that story, and he did. And, and I think it's cool that, like, you have the the filler um, in terms of, like, you know, other media, comic books. One thing I wanted to bring up that, uh, you know, is it could be a whole aside, but the game, it came out right yeah. around the time that the, the film came out. I don't know if anyone played it. I 100%ed it, but very rich in terms of the world building and the story and, 
even though it's kind of its own thing, it almost kind of functions as a prequel to Fury Road in some ways. Uh, there's there's some elements that kind of cross over, so really interesting there. But um, you know, you, you can lo- you can find the backstory if you look for it, and it's there, and it's very well thought out. But you really don't need it to enjoy Fury mm-hmm. Road. Hundred percent agree. I, I have to say, I was gonna I was gonna make a comment. So <clears throat> I think that the reason that this was really hard as an actor to sort of get is because of the cinematography. And now follow me on this because the entire vision of the story is based on the sort of experience of your eyes. I I, I don't know how to describe it more, but um, what I read on Wikipedia is that this has 22.5 cuts per minute. So that means every time you change an angle, it was 22.5 per minute. That it had, every three seconds there was a new cut, new cut, new cut, new cut, new cut, especially in the action scenes. And then, so it's really hard to think like, okay, what is this going to look like? How should I be thinking this way? Especially when they do things like, and I think this is really obvious, the jerky sort of uh, speed up. Um, the you know they drop frames randomly, or they you know slow the scene down because you need to digest it more. That's what I think George Miller was saying was that you have to fifty to sixty percent of the of the uh, film is not in standard frame rate is that, you know, 50 to 60% is either sped up because you already know what's going on and he wants the action to happen fast, 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 or you need to take a minute to really take this in. And when you're, when the director kind of makes the film and editing like that, it's, it can be kind of hard to understand what exactly the feeling that's supposed to be going into the scene, especially I think as, Ed Hardy was doing like throughout the whole thing is that <laughs> Tom, Tom, Tom Hardy. Oh, sorry, sorry. So what did I say? What did I say? You what said Ed say? Hardy. Oh fuck. <laughs> that was awesome. Great. I know that was completely innocent, but you couldn't have made up a better joke. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you were anyway, looking so, at your so, tie. I know. I know. So anyway, your so extra long tie. Oh my god. Okay, let me actually get back to it. So <laughs> I can understand why Time Hardy would would not understand that some sort of scene would be you know emotionally visceral because it's frenetic, or like it's emotionally visceral because it's you know it's it's more toned than you would think in the moment. And so, like, when, when you have this sort of frenetic cuts happening, it's kind of hard to, when you're acting in normal motion, to kind of get it. I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot that happens in cinematography and in editing in this film. A lot of storytelling well, is told there. So, Bill, I'm glad you said that. There, there's kind of a point I wanted to make, and that segues perfectly into it. So, the way I kind of look at it, because I'm not a filmmaker at all, guys. I know some of you are. I'm not. But... The way I kind of liken things is is to, you know, using music analogies. So, like, you have some directors who I feel like they you, you approach things in terms of composition, right? So it's like your scenes, how you're setting up the scene, what, what your characters are saying. And there's, you know, people that operate in the visual medium, directors, uh, cinematographers that certainly, I think, approach it that way. I think George Miller, to me, is much more of an orchestrator. Because to make a film in the way that Fury Road was made, and I mean, I watched all the making ofs, and I'm sure you guys did too. I mean, it it was insane. I mean, it was a production. And to have that vision and to be that committed to, you know, bringing that to life, you really are taking it, you know, 
I don't know. It's a step beyond. I think, uh, Bill, you just said something like, you know, to really make a film kind of come alive in the edit or to, to edit the film together in a way where it's going to convey whatever that, that vision is or whatever you kind of see um, in your head. I think that really is what sets him apart and, and what sets his film apart from even other kind of action movies we see, you know, big tentpole blockbuster action movies, because this really is, I mean, it's orchestrated chaos. You know, it's it's meant to seem chaotic, but every single frame, every single scene was meticulously planned out, meticulously put together. And I feel like that kind of takes a true dedication to your craft that I don't think we really see. It certainly isn't very common anymore. And I think that's why the film was such a breath of fresh air. It's Kubrick level. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. It's funny that you said orchestra because that's what I think is that like, okay, Tom, I understand you don't get it, but just do this because it's going to fit. You're going to see it in the end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too, to Ben's point, Kubrick was an orchestrator. I mean, big time. I mean, you guys get where I'm coming from with those analogies, right? That's that's kind of... Absolutely. To, to me, just the, the level of complexity that is Absolutely. attempting to be conveyed there. Um, it's not to say there aren't other films that aren't as bombastic as Mad Max that, mm. you know, don't get the point across, but it's just You're a different... You're talking about autorism. Right. You're talking about autorism. And I think that... that in an age where auteurs are, uh, I would say, mostly dead, George Miller's the closest thing we have to one, especially in that aspect where you're absolutely right, Bill, where you talk about how when you take into account the stories about how Tom Hardy doesn't f- didn't seem to fully get it and Charlie Theron didn't seem to fully get it, it's, it's, it's all sorts of... I have to close this Discord. Um, it's all sorts... <laughs> of uh of autorism at play here and just that you need to trust the director the auteur's vision and if you aren't trusting his vision you're going to fail and like even if there are accounts of like people disagreeing with him on set and stuff it just goes to show that like regardless of whether they disagreed with him or whether they deep down did trust him and, and worked with him it worked because it, it wouldn't have worked if they didn't trust him, if they didn't let him take the reins and just kind of play their part. Like Bill and Jason said, it, uh, the heart of autourism is an orchestra. It's ensuring that everyone plays their part, regardless of whether you understand what your part is or not. Because at the end of the day, the orchestra is only an extension of the conductor and and, and the composer. And it's the same way in autourism in cinema is that everyone else is only an extension of the auteur's uh, vision. Yeah, well said. I agree. So the sci-fi aspects of this film. (laughs) 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 We've been talking about production this entire time, but it's really, really hard not to. But that's such a a huge part of this movie. Like we're talking 20 years of this movie. The production, yeah. Well, it's, I think it's because the sci-fi aspects of this film are very basic and and in many ways not even, in my opinion at least, not even fully worth talking about. Um, oh. In some ways, setting is simply a backdrop for character work, and I think this film is, is one of those examples. And I think that just because 
we are a sci-fi podcast all the time doesn't mean we always need to focus on the human elements or you know the human elements are there of course but we don't need to be like you know what's this futuristic kind of idea that we need to explore that we need to dissect sometimes the cross sections of a piece are the themes and the idea that someone is trying to tell because i don't think i i think that this is simply you could erase a lot of it a lot of the backdrop and the story would stand well on its own with the characters that are at play because the character work is strong the script is strong that's my opinion well it's it's very interesting that it's such a it's such an in-depth um even though you don't fully get what the redemption is there's such a huge feeling of redemption in this film that like I think one of the things I really, really wanted to mention uh, just one time in this cast was that um, the feeling I got, especially from Furiosa and, uh, you know, Max to a certain extent, was when things get the worst, when things become the worst possible scenario and you get past that and then you think, what's next? You know, like Mm -hmm. getting to that point, getting to that rock bottom, like like Furiosa you know, the one thing she thought about for what, 20 to 30 years was getting to the, you know, the green place. I think that's what it's called, right? Um, The green place. And then to find out it's gone, there's nothing there, you know, and then hitting that rock bottom. And then what do you do from that? You know, you turn around and then face the demons that you were facing the entire time and then get back to the place you were that you started at to, you know, redeem yourself in a certain way to redeem the you know home that you built there so i don't know i i thought that was like a really powerful theme that i kind of had to i kind of realized because you know once you go through that sort of experience in your life where you're like well this is the part this is the thing i never wanted to happen and now i'm here now what you know like that sort of that sort of feeling in life and so when i see that happen in a movie it really sticks out to me i get that I get that. I, I've been there uh, before, and I, I that's I think that's why this movie always connects very well with me. And I I think the nothing hits harder in this film than um, Furiosa's the shot of Furiosa on the dune at the near I'd say near the end of Act Two uh, when she removes her arm and and drops to her knees and hits that rock bottom you talk about i think that's that's one of my favorite shots in modern film ever because it symbolizes that that hit of rock bottom so beautifully the the barren desolation of everything around her just the sweeping of the wind on the sand is 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 such a powerful shot and and her screaming up into this into the air and and it's muted it's muted because we don't need to hear it we we see everything we need to see and we we understand we don't need to hear her scream in full force and i think that's what makes it even more powerful is that it relies on the visuals itself and uh it's it's what it's i think what cemented the film for me i i sat there and love all the action all day like everyone else but nothing hit as hard as that shot itself plus charlie's theron is so good she's just she's so fantastic good. i mean the, the it, there, it's an interesting dynamic because the action is so there's so much happening visually like audibly it, it's just like an overload of all the senses when there's action and then these moments where they're like deep character moments are are like very silent in a, in a 
stark way you know yeah max is yeah, literally is like a, a silent protagonist and it's it's interesting you're like a great point because you're like it's like overstimulation and then suddenly i uh, you know stimulus deprivation in a point that you're like whoa okay that really hit that's a bad name but we're gonna come up new band stimulus, <laughs> stimulus deprivation, deprivation. <laughs> Is it yeah is it no Prague or is it <laughs> oh yeah all, all the right, above sorry. man definitely no that that yeah I think that's that's killer band name I'm actually gonna work on uh, the, <laughs> the debut EP tonight here nice. while I'm in quarantine um, no I mean to kind of piggyback off that I mean that's that's really my thought with this like I think and you guys you know tell me if you kind of had the same vibe here but like the reason it was such a refreshing piece of filmmaking um, and piece of science fiction piece of you know action filmmaking whatever it was because you really don't see movies like this anymore I think in this day and age you know I'm always the guy to bring up oh yeah well you know the the trailer put me off this movie because it was all CGI and you know then like a year later I'll end up going back and I'll watch a movie and oh it wasn't that bad or it wasn't really you know overdone CGI or whatever but like to me I'm one of those people where it just puts me off because it's just so it's everywhere you know and to have a movie like this come out where it, it almost spit in the face of that mentality it's like you know what we could do this all cgi sure but we're going to do it all practical we're going to spend the money we're going to you know work on getting the shots right we're going to plan it meticulously and we're going to pull it off and to me that's why it kind of raises the bar because it really kind of shows you know what's possible um and i think in a lot of ways i don't want to go as you know, far be as dramatic to say it kind of ruined movies for me, but I knew walking out of my first viewing of Fury Road that I wasn't going to ever see anything like that again, unless it was, right. you know, Fury Road 2, <laughs> or it was another George Miller, you know, George Miller joint. Like, I knew it wasn't going to be, um, you know, kind of something that was going to be commonplace just because no one really has the balls to try to make a movie like that. And uh, I just think it's it's awesome. It's great, you know, and, and it was really refreshing. It was refreshing for the time it came out, uh, which is, you know, a couple years ago now, but it was also, I think, um, it, it definitely was one of those bar raising films. And I think we've, we've gotten a few of those, uh, in, you know, this current era in our lifetimes. But for me, I think that was definitely one of them where you see it and, you know, immediately I've already seen it on people's lists of, you know, movies you have to see before you die. That says something. That's a movie that came out four or five years ago, and it's already being held in that you know same breath as movies that came out forty years ago. There's definitely something to that, and I think you know it's it's well deserved. Fury Road Two, Two Lanes, Two Furious. I'd take it. I'd be Bring there on. day one. <laughs> as long as George Miller's at the helm, let's go. All right, boys. Unless anyone has any other points they want to make. I think this is a good time to go into good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. Let's go. Let's do it. We're going to go around the table in the same order that we introduced ourselves. So I'm going to go first. This is, uh, I mean, I fucking love this movie. This is a great movie. Uh, this is okay sci-fi. Um, definitely the setting, the post-apocalyptic world. Um, I feel like if we would go back to other Mad Maxes, like the Road Warrior or Mad Max 2, uh, that has a little bit more to say about, uh, I guess, humanity in, in a way, in terms of kind of where we're headed. They appreciated it, uh, especially the time it came out. They were looking at uh, certain factors. Um, 
you know, post seventies, there was a lot, uh, that they were, uh, I guess looking at, but, um, this movie was just okay. Sci-fi, but I don't want that to affect any way of my opinion of the movie. I thought it was amazing. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Mark. I obviously love the movie. Um, as far as it being, you know, in the terms of sci-fi, it doesn't have anything, uh, you know, outstanding science in it, but taking today's technology and transforming it in a way that is very storytelling, uh, you know, like story based in how they're taking modern technology and twisting it in a way. And like, you can see the way that different people, they're all so broken up from each other and they've developed their specific augmentations to modern technology to make, you know, what they think is going to do best for them. Uh, I think that is definitely something to say about sci-fi, and I think it's interesting for sure. All right. Thank you, Mark. Jason. Yeah, so um, once again, you know, really love this movie. It was one, I think, along with uh, probably Blade Runner 2049, where I had followed the production for years and years and years before it actually came out. I was blown away. Uh, couldn't have been, you know, more what I wanted out of it. I think it actually surpassed my expectations, uh, which is, you know, rare for a film to do. Um, fan of George Miller, fan of his vision, and boy, did he really pull it off on this one. I'm excited to see where the series goes from here. I know what's going to happen. It's not a matter of uh, if, but just when at this point. So I uh, couldn't be more excited for that. Uh, you know, I kind of echo what Colin says. Sci-fi, does it really delve deep into those themes? No, but at the same time, I don't think that was what it was trying to do. Uh, I think it was an incredible movie. Definitely moved the bar forward as far as filmmaking goes and what's possible. Um, I thought really solid sci-fi. And uh, overall, just uh, really, really excited to see where the franchise and the series goes next. I don't feel like George Miller is going to be the guy where he's going to tell a story that doesn't need to be told. So I think wherever we go next is going to be worthwhile. Okay, uh, Jason, that might be the fastest you've ever done your uh, good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. I appreciate <laughs> uh, I'm you. Trying. I'm trying. Oh, fellas. man. I, yeah. Um, thank you. Matthew. <sighs> well, Jason went fast, but he also said almost everything I wanted to say. Which is annoying. <laughs> he does that to a lot of people. Don't worry. <laughs> Sorry, it man. really was a phenomenal movie. I was such a fan of the series and was hopeful, but not expecting too much out of this. And it blew me out of the water. So as a movie, it's just phenomenal. Sci-fi wise, I will say it, it doesn't hit a lot of the minutia that I love to see in sci-fi, but it's still solid. It still deals with a post-apocalyptic people devolving from what we know into something new. So I would definitely say it is solid. It's good sci-fi. And I, I, just as Jason said, I'm really looking forward to this, uh, this to continue. This is a great new take on Mad Max that I think very much revitalized a series that needs to be around. Thank you, Matthew. Ben Young, hit me. Yeah, I've been wrestling with this for a while, honestly, and I, I still don't think I totally have an answer. 
because on one hand it's uh it's as you said colin it's okay sci-fi uh, like i said it, it uses sci-fi as a backdrop for telling a story that could be i believe told in other mediums it could be translated well it doesn't need sci-fi to tell its story but on the other hand, it tells a very human story, and, and I've always said that good sci-fi makes me feel human, and in which this movie definitely does. Uh, I'm going to go ahead, and, and for the sake of, of, of cons con being concise, I'm going to say it's good sci-fi, um, and while it doesn't utilize its backdrop as well as it could, it also shows that you don't not all sci-fi needs to lean as heavily on sci-fi in order to be successful. Oftentimes it comes down to, always, it comes down to a focus on characters more than anything else. Your backdrop should always be second. So that's where I'm at. All right. Thank you, Ben. Bill Jarvis. All right. Little, so... little Billy Jarvis, age 29. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you, kind host. Um, I was um, I was kind of blown away by this movie. I really, really, really loved it. Um, I saw it once in passing, and then I uh, really got into it now, and I just realized how rich the world building is. Um, I'd say, like I think everybody said uh, or implied, is that the you know there are no. I feel like there are no huge, major existential themes kind of being explored, but I don't think it's necessary. Like Ben said. I think that it is a fantastic sci-fi backdrop to say that this is a post-apocalyptic world with lots of things that happened and that this is a possible future, but now let's explore a cool story. You know, like now let's use this world to explore a story. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there was a, a, the one thing I would explore is redemption and power and the, you know, um, position of power in society and how we deal with it as humans. Um, obviously with the Morton Joe and, and that whole thing, that's kind of where that went. So I'd say it's a good sci-fi and, uh, it explores a fantastic world that, um, that is worth exploring more. And I just want to keep going, even though it's a giant barren desert. So I still want to explore <laughs> this place and there are a lot of cool characters and a lot of cool societies within it. So, yeah. All right. Thank you, Bill. And last and certainly not least, Andrew Charles, uh, George Miller. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I love directing this movie. Um, no. Um, yeah, I, uh, this was, uh, another excellent choice by, by me <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> uh, and my modesty. Yeah. That's um, on brand. Yeah. Kind of at this point. Um, uh, no, this was, a uh, uh, this, yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with everybody. Um, excellent, excellent movie. Um, very glad that I picked this um, over <laughs> the other things, whatever those could have been that I might have picked. Um, I do, I do think that this is kind of like a sleeper sci-fi. That there's a sci-fi viewing because there's definitely something, you know, physically wrong with the War Boys that are, you know, that's it's as a a, a relation to this sci-fi backdrop that we have. Um, but you don't need it, like like Ben was saying, you don't need that sci-fi aspect. Um, I got to refute you really quick, Bill. I know there's not time to get into the nitty gritty of it, but this does tell a story of existentialism and it's the most base form of that, which is survival. Oh, you know, yeah. uh, Max at the beginning says that he has one instinct and that's to survive. Everybody Furiosa wants to survive. The, the wives want to survive. 
the uh, mothers are, it's all, all about survival, um, which I think is probably the most base form of existentialism. Like, but I mean, obviously we're out of time, so, you, got me you know, there. we'll get into that. Maybe we, you know, maybe we'll have some bonus content where, uh, where we talk about that. But uh, insanely excellent, amazing, magnanimous sci-fi uh, okay. from me. All right. I, I just have to say one last thing, uh, Miller. Thank you for uh, you know kind of curating the the content that you ended up choosing because yeah. uh, you know as the, kind of a cap off to it. Obviously, this movie I'd seen before, but a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff you kind of got me out of my comfort zone. Watched some things I probably would not have otherwise watched and had some good experiences and some good conversation from it. So thanks for uh, kind of kicking that off. And hopefully that's something we can kind of continue to build upon here in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Seriously. And yeah, yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you for all uh, obliging me. Um, you know, I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> kind of a rocky start to my 30th uh, year here on this <laughs> earth, but uh, with, with uh, the whole quarantine happening. But um, I really appreciate, uh, you know, people giving me the, the time to curate some, some content for the show. I mean, I really like this show. I really like where it's going. And uh, I couldn't be prouder that this is our 50th episode. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 You are correct. It is. Come a long way. Yeah. We really have from uh, recording in uh, the Botker's living room and then my basement. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Those were good episodes. Yeah. Those were some ones. <clears throat> all right, gentlemen. That's all we have for you tonight. Um, ben, what happens on Sunday evenings? Well, I just wanted to say really quick, speaking of our 50th episode, in honor of that, all of our episodes are now up, even the deep cuts, everything prior, they will be up as you are listening to this, so if you've already noticed and you're like, what the hell is this crap, it sounds awful, but the commentary is great. I rip Rogue One a new one, I rip anyone who likes Rogue One a new one. You still do that. Dude, it's an awful film, and anyone who likes this is a complete idiot. I mean, <laughs> the essay is found. I'm going to post it one day, maybe. And um, so we've got a whole bunch of other stuff coming up soon. So go ahead and listen to our old stuff. Uh, on Sundays, we are playing Once Upon a Tavern once again. Um, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time at twitch.tv slash once underscore upon underscore a underscore tavern. That's Once Upon a Tavern underscore between the words uh we we started playing again on sunday and it got a little rough start but we're we're getting back into it and it's gonna be great thank you uh any of you boys have anything else you want to plug i have uh plans to launch a new show shortly so i will uh update as uh as that happens it will be a um sort of an analysis uh show between uh myself and my girlfriend rachel uh where she is a an x-files newcomer and i uh have watched x-files before have some experience so we're we've been going through that we're uh we're actually on uh season two now so um look forward to uh to that happening into the future i very much am cool i love x-files yeah very sci-fi adjacent very, very sci-fi in general, I should say. Sci-fi yeah, adjacent. That's the second prog band. <laughs> the night. <laughs> okay. Um, that's all we have for you tonight. So until next time. <laughs>